Welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast, a place where we talk about the power of love and its creative expression in our lives. We talk about all things related to growth, positivity, and kindness. And I am your host, Corinne Kamara. Hello, and welcome to episode 66, Falling in Love with Grief. After losing her daughter, Teal, in 2012, Suzanne Falter discovered the healing power of self-care. She now hosts the Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women podcast and is the author of multiple self-help titles, including the Extremely Busy Women's Guide to Self-Care. In today's episode, we talk about the power of grief to inspire transformation. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast. Today I have a beautiful guest, Suzanne. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Corinne. I always start out the podcast talking about love and how and when you fell in love with yourself and your journey into discovering who you are and the work that you're bringing into the world. So I'd love to hear yours. You know, I always thought that I operated from a place of love, but it turned out that it was really buried. And I didn't find that out until 2012 when I experienced a series of serious losses, beginning with the end of a relationship and the home that came with it. Then uh, my business closed. And very shortly after that, my 22-year-old daughter died very unexpectedly from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. And at the time I was an overworked workaholic. I ran a very successful marketing coaching business. And I really thought that I, I was grounded and centered and you know, all those good things. And it turned out I was lost. I was so lost. And it took that crisis to really return me to a place of deeper self-compassion and deeper understanding of who I am in the world and what it takes to be a happy person. Ironically, it took the loss of my daughter. Now that's not really inappropriate because she was the essence of love. My daughter Teal was a world traveler with her little backpack and her travel guitar. She was 22 years old when she died and she'd been all over the world playing music on the street. She's a blues singer. And uh, she just had this very extremely present way of operating. She would make money as a waitress. She would go to the airport with cash in her pocket and just buy a ticket to somewhere and go. (laughs) And sometimes she slept at the airport for a day or two until she got organized. But, you know, I mean, she really, she really was a person who lived with a great love for the world. And I couldn't appreciate that towards the end of her life. I I didn't make her wrong for it, but I didn't understand it. And I also didn't understand why I might wanna rethink how I was living. But after her death, I found her journals and she wrote extensively in her journals about being present and about the things she had learned on this, in these travels. And, you know, she wrote about going into a cemetery in the Amalfi Coast in Italy, which is an incredibly beautiful part of the world. It's just striking, striking landscape with all these little houses and 
churches dotted into this very steep hillside overlooking the ocean. And she said she sat in the cemetery and meditated. And then she looked out at the ocean and what was in front of her. And she understood how important it was to just be. And when you did, you could appreciate all the beauty in the world. Yes. Well, that was an eye opener to busy Susie here, who was <laughs> very focused on making my first million, you know? Right. <laughs> and it wasn't happening, okay? But it was also uh, putting me in a place of being so driven that I was kind of emotionally running over people all over the place. And I was not compassionate towards my staff. I wasn't compassionate towards my clients. And I really wasn't compassionate towards myself. But Teal's continued message in these notebooks, just be, be it you know, be, you know, it was something I began to really think about. And I decided towards the very beginning after her death that I was just going to use this as a catalyst to become a better person and to end all the, the behaviors that had caused me so much pain, beginning with no longer doing the work that was not connected to my heart and soul. I, it was lucrative and I didn't care about it, is the truth. Mm -hmm. So I began to write these essays. You know, I wrote tons and tons of them, hundreds of blogs. <clears throat> and I had been a writer. I had published self-help self books prior to becoming a marketing coach. And I, you know, return to what I think is my primary work, which is really writing blogs and essays that help people get closer to who they are. Mm -hmm. So I began to really share what I was learning in a super vulnerable way. And it led me back to a deeper, deeper, more grace-filled place of understanding and love. And it wasn't quick. Corinne, it took several years. Yeah. But uh, at the end of it, I found my way to a whole new relationship to a woman who I, um, with a woman who I later married, who really is the love of my life. And, you know, happy ending. That's a beautiful happy ending. Seems Thank like your you. daughter was an angel. Well, I think she may still be. I'm sure she is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting how, um, we learn from people and how they take us to a different level of understanding and how she pretty much, you stopped everything and shifted your whole life. It seems like 2012, everything needed to die so you can be rebirthed in a new way. It feels like it. It feels like it. I, I was given so much understanding from that experience and so much, um, you know, surrender for lack of a better word. In fact, I kept meditating, like, what am I supposed to do? Hey, come on, you know, because I have a spiritual belief for Pete's sakes, but I was really demanding that God tell me what to do. Like, come on, where's the to-do list? I want it now. And all I kept getting was surrender, 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 surrender. There was no instructions. I had no idea how I would make money. All of it was unknown. And I had a, a small amount of savings that I could live on if I was super frugal. And I had just gotten divorced. So I had a divorce settlement. And I just lived on that, that money for two years. And I didn't work. That was a huge let go for me. I was going to take a month off, then it stretched into like three months. And then, you know, and this, this coach I knew kept, 
you know, was coaching me as a friend and she was like, you need to stop. You, you can't do this. You can't do this work. You've got to stop. And I did. And that turned out to be the very best thing because that's when I started to really focus on myself and I started to deeply integrate these, these ideas about self-care that I was discovering, tuning into my body, slowing down, meditating, taking good care of myself physically, setting boundaries, asking for help. I didn't know how to ask for help. I was a solo, you know, one woman show who had to be the brave and powerful lone wolf through most of my life. <laughs> and yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And and when you do that, you deprive other people of the opportunity of contributing to you. Yes, I love that. And it's so true because I had a friend tell me something similar where it's like, if you're a lone wolf, which I was for many, many years, it's like you're depriving another person of loving you. Like another yes. person wants to love and give to you and you're not allowing, you're not receiving that love. Yeah. And not only will that love nourish you, but then you also have that opportunity to love back. So by not allowing someone to love you and take care of you, you're stopping that cycle. Yeah. And for someone that was so deprived of love, feeling like nobody loved me, it was like, well, you're mm -hmm. not opening the door to allow love to come in. Yeah, you're Which not. I'll... You're not. That's right. Right. And and P.S. Hey, I needed help. I needed help. I lived in Northern California where I had moved. Uh, let's see, al almost exactly two years earlier, I had immediately gotten into this relationship and hadn't really stopped to make friends. Then the relationship ended. That was over. I suddenly had no place to live. At the time of Teal's death, I was driving my car around, kind of trying to figure out where to rent an apartment or, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I just had my stuff in storage and my little suitcase in the back of my car. And I was going here, going there. And that turned out to be a great thing because I had no responsibilities as a result. I was almost living the way Teal had, you know, because she was a big couch surfer. She actually lived in San Francisco but she stayed on people's couches and, you know, she, she would get out and, you know, raise money on the street for Planned Parenthood or she'd be a waitress or, you know, some very kind of temporary work for her. She had no career per se, but her dream was to be a healer. And, and she had been a blues singer and had gone to, you know, Berklee College of Music and really, you know, gotten into it and was an extremely good singer but she was really pulled to being a healer. And she wanted to share this healing gift. And she didn't really know what it was. And the day after her collapse was when she was gonna begin taking a series of courses she'd chosen for herself at the City College in San Francisco. You know, it was like uh, her real course as a healer was to die and have this story be told again and again and for potentially to be in the afterlife and and affect people from the other side i mean there's an energy that came down around my life after her death which was love personified and and i had through my entire grief these strange flashes of deep love and joy which were really focused on understanding Kuan Yin's message of compassion, mm -hmm. understanding 
Jesus's message of compassion, understanding Buddha's message, everybody's yeah. message, okay? Because <laughs> it's all the same. It's all the same yeah. with nuance, you know? Yeah, that's like making me cry. It's really, um, that's really beautiful. And so she became a healer. She was a healer. And I may just go as far as to say she still is. Yeah. Because I certainly feel her around me a lot. Uh, she seems to live in the lamps in my house, which all, <laughs> <laughs> she's gotten really good at this. They flicker off and on and my light will go off while we're talking, almost guaranteed. Oh, wow. It, yeah, it's like multiple lighting fixtures on different circuits in my house are full of, of mischief. You know, but I, I have to say this, this idea that crisis returns us to love was the biggest thing I learned from this, because I learned that you don't have to be afraid of crisis. I don't even think you have to be afraid of death. You know, I would go that far yeah. because I have really experienced the overwhelming love present at the end of life. Now, there's another piece to this story, which you may not even know, Karin. Uh, excuse me. Let's. <laughs> I called you Corinne. It's, it's okay. It's Corinne. It's, it's okay. Corinne. And <laughs> it's I am okay. not Susan. I'm Suzanne. I know because we have these these names and they they're un, you know artificial dividers between us. But there it is. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> when Teal died, because she had been um, she had been her heart had been revived 15 minutes after her collapse, but her brain had never had a chance to recover because her, she had extensive brain damage from being without oxygen for 15 minutes. So um, her brain, her heart was in good shape, although she, she couldn't survive and she had to be taken off of life support. Many of her organs were donated and her heart oh. was given to a young woman just a few years older than her named Amara. And Amara wanted to help people with heart problems because Amara had had congestive heart failure from age 19 to 27 wow. until she got Teal's heart and her life was saved. So what do you think Amara does? She works in a hospital helping people get EKGs and being, she's a cardiosonographer. And I just think, you know, that's another manifestation of Teal's healing and right. of spreading the love. And her mother and I have gotten to be great friends, Debbie Granger. And um, Debbie and I had a little podcast for a while, Back to Happy. And the message is always the same. It's like, once you're at the edge of, you know, reason in life, when it, the going really gets rough, she says this great thing. She says, you can grow and evolve if you let it happen. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like we all have that capacity to jump to that next level of love and compassion in those mm -hmm. deep, deep moments of pain and suffering. And it isn't a very big opportunity to shift and grow. Yeah. There's a, there's a saying I've heard among the people who've lost children, which is you become better or bitter. Yeah, and you could say that about almost anything. Divorces, right? relationships, yeah. I would say that's, I mean, that's one of the things I think about in terms of breakups or anything. It's like, I'm either bitter yeah. or you're, you get better. And I agree. Right, and, and so much of this is about um, understanding you're worth it, you know? And I, I mean, it's so easy to hang on to the negative story or the tragedy or the loss. I mean, Debbie lost her entire house in, in uh, 
Paradise, California, which the entire town was burned to the ground. That's right. In the campfire in 2017. Um, or, excuse me, 20. Yeah, maybe it was right. 20, 2017. Yeah. And and honestly, it's like she learned non-attachment from that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it was hard. She experienced trauma. But she also understood afterwards that things are just things. Right. You know? Yeah. And they can all be replaced, mostly. Yeah, most of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, we don't really take anything. One of the things I always think about, we don't take anything with us when we die anyway, besides our love. <laughs> like, I mean, that's all that really that's matters. That's right. And that's what we think about at the end of our life. I don't think I'll be thinking about the fact that I didn't write this particular book or I didn't get that publishing deal or my podcast only had so many downloads. <laughs> All the stuff that seems so important now, right? Right. <clears throat> right. And and it doesn't. It's it doesn't really matter at the end of the day if there's not a, if there's no love and compassion and forgiveness and family and support. I don't really think that nothing matters in life and i think that's a big part of people thinking money makes you happy or all these accolades but even the people with all the alcohol all everything they have everything they still will say yeah. without love there's nothing well and you know i really think that speaks to kind of a gnawing sense of i'm not enough that yeah. many of us have and i definitely have had that and i feel now i'm almost enough i'm working on it I'm not perfect, you know, yeah. but my sense of enoughness has actually grown extensively. And one of the ways I recovered that for myself was by going into groups, all kinds of support groups. Because like I said, when I lost my daughter and the relationship and the business, I really had nobody left. I had no friends. So I started going to recovery groups and I had known them earlier in my adult life. And I thought, okay, this is a good place to start to work on yourself. Just take your grief, go in the group. Then I joined a group of grieving parents. And that was great because they all kind of understood the deal and we were all in the same boat. And, you know, I, I joined a group of hikers and I joined all these different groups yeah. and I got people around me to the degree that I could tolerate them while I was grieving. But then I came out of that with some really good friends who I'm still great friends with now, almost 10 years later. And I, I just feel like those experiences of connecting with other people helped me really reclaim my enoughness. A hundred percent. I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible to grow in the way that in which we're talking about without friends and loved ones yeah. around you because it's too painful mm -hmm. and pain is really isolating i think when most of us most humans are in pain we isolate and we think that nobody else is going through what i'm going through which exactly. is virtually impossible like we all have the basis of human conditions we all have yeah. emotions so there is somebody in the world that's going through something that you're going through and in group and love and support with friends, that's really how you grow. I mean, I don't think I would be the person I am today if I didn't have an amazing group of friends. It just wouldn't. Yeah, and, and you also are demonstrating that friends give us strength. Oh yeah. You know, friends give us strength. Friends don't just validate us and say, hey, you know, I know you feel like you're not enough, you're enough. Friends give us ideas about how to move forward. You might you might have a breakup and turn to your friend and say, oh my God, I can't believe she dumped me. And the friend might say, 
in fact, hey, opening for a new relationship that is a much better fit to come rolling in, you know, and then I yeah. can kind of relax and go, oh, right. It's not, it's not because I'm such a jerk. Right. right. I just think we need people to give us that, uh, the different vantage point, giving us a different, a different yeah. perspective, right? Because if we're seeing ourselves in the mirror all the time, all the time, all the time, dealing with ourselves, mm. sometimes we just don't see things that other people yeah. are like, hey, like I had this whole I had this whole moment where I just didn't feel like I was good at certain things because you know when you're mm-hmm. naturally good at things you just don't really think about it you're like okay yeah, yeah I do that okay fine but yeah. it's only it's only until my friends were like no you're really good at that and I'm like yeah really oh okay <laughs> like you know it's like you know something that yeah, you should totally. really you should really know but it really takes that good friend that looks at you like no this is this mm-hmm. is important. And then you start to change your perspective and you're like, oh, I can, you can see the beauty and the potentiality in a person that truly loves you and how they Mm want to support you and make you a better human is Mm -hmm. like invaluable. Like those kinds of friendships are just so rare and so amazing. And it just makes you a better, I mean, I feel like it makes me a better person because I want to be a good friend as well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It makes the world definitely makes life much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's get into the infinite love questions. Okay. So the first one is how do you express love in your work? Well, one of the great things I love about my work, and I have been a writer for 40 years. Even when I was a marketing coach, I was blogging a lot. So I still call that writing, but I, you know, published many, many books. My current book is The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. And in all these books, I have really told my truth as vulnerably as I can. And one of the fun things about my work is I feel I'm really connected to something bigger than me that is writing the words through me. And that is an experience of love that is not originated with me. It's originated from the universe, God, my intuition, whatever you want to call it. But it's pouring through me in a very real and sustainable way. So the words really have that kind of inner poetry. And sometimes I write things that I think, man, did I write that? Somebody posted in my Facebook group the other day, somebody posted, you know, a little quote and it said, thank you. And I had to say, did I actually write that? <laughs> they were like, yes. You know, it's like, oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> you know? but, so for me, it's like getting out of the way and letting the love come through me. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your book, um, which I think is wonderful. Because I feel like self-care is one of the things that is a huge key to self-love is being able to take care of yourself. And mm-hmm. most people will use the excuse of I'm too busy yep. to self-care so without divulging everything in the book because you should go (laughs) (laughs) um what are like key things that you would um say to women that are listening to this that are feel like they're too busy to include self-care into their life well this is a book that is a little different because this is not about scheduling more self-care it's not about time management it's not about productivity it's about the opposite it's about teal's message which is letting go of all this stuff that doesn't serve you because many of us extremely busy women are overproducing. We don't think we can just give our, our baby the jarred baby food. We're making it, you know? <laughs> we don't feel like we, we can leave it, you know, for a lunch hour because they need me. 
you know, it, it, this is about drawing the lines in your life so you can have the time you need and recognizing what you need. Most of us are so busy, we can't even hear ourselves think. And one of the critical things I think we have to do is create alone time where we just do nothing. Give ourselves the permission to sit by a window and look at nothing. Sit on the back deck and sit in the sun and just melt a little. Ideas will come, insights will come, uh, inspirations will come, emotions will come. And it will teach us to listen to our bodies because when we listen to our bodies, our bodies give us instructions. And Teal was very big on this. You know, she'd say, lie on your bed and just put your hand on your tummy and just feel what's going on. If you feel disconnected from yourself, ask yourself this question, what do I need right now? That's what my book is about. Mm -hmm. And then when you realize you need more time for yourself, say, you begin making requests. You ask your partner to step up and do more around the house. If you are in a hetero relationship, you may have seen the research that says in the last uh, period of years, men have taken on only one half hour more of the childcare and household duties than they did 10 years ago, while women assume at least three hours of it every day. Not true for all men, God bless them. But some men, you need a little reminder, that's all I'm saying. If you're in any relationship, ask your partner to support you with this goal of taking some time for yourself. Just explain that you've kind of lost track, that you're burning out, that you're, you're not as fun to be with perhaps because you need time to take care of yourself and then get in that long hot bath take that walk in nature walks in nature are just fantastic because 20 minutes under some trees in a park is the equivalent to two hours walking on a city street according to people who study the nervous system and how it responds to different environments so a big deal in my book is setting boundaries and asking for help very much what i've been talking about also, journaling is great. If you really can't figure out what you need or where you're stuck, but you just have an uncomfortable feeling in your body that is asking for some sort of resolution, then get out your notebook and your pen and start to write. Or if you want, you know, the, the blank document on a laptop or even in a phone, it's just important to answer these questions. I have a lot of little worksheets and questionnaires and all that kind of stuff in yeah. in uh, the Extremely Busy Woman's Guide because it is so easy to not even know where to start when you're really overwhelmed. You know, who knows what questions to ask? I have this fun thing called the handy values sorter. So you can <laughs> like go in and figure out what's really important to you in life. Yeah, you know, that's the kind of thing you do that helps you make changes. And what I hear from women, busy women, is that they're going into their boss and they're they're renegotiating their work uh, hours and the money they're paid, or they're asking their, you know, the other mom down the street to do a babysitting exchange, you know, so we can have a little time to go to a gym or they're finding a gym buddy or, you know, whatever it is that will really make self-care real for them. It is not just the massage and the bubble bath. It is so much more of an inside job and an allowing ourselves to step up and get what we deserve. 100%, 100%. Where has forgiveness brought more love into your life? Ah, 
What a beautiful question. That is a great question. Well, and you know, um, I, I was married. I had a husband for 25 years before I came out as a lesbian. And, uh, you know, I, I had about as amicable a divorce as you can have. I mean, he really supported me to come out and, and really help me own it. And he also, you know, we just were married couples, so we get on each other's case. And I could walk away from that relationship, you know, full of my little hurt stories about he did this and he did that, just like he could, he could do the same for me. But I think without even talking about it, we just gave each other a total pass to be two people who, you know, met, I mean, he was, he's an old, older husband. He was in his early forties and I was in my late twenties when we got together. Um, and we learned like Jack and Jill walking up the hill together, kind of how to do marriage because we neither of us have been married before and we raised kids together. And, um, you know, I just forgave him as I walked out of that marriage for anything that had happened between us that I didn't like. And uh, honestly, it has been a great thing because we've stayed connected. Uh, we still have our son who, you know, is now 27. And we went through our daughter's death together after the divorce. And I remember the, um, <laughs> it, it's really striking. I remember this. Um, at the hospital after six days in the neurological uh, trauma unit where, where they were trying to save our daughter's life and we had to take her off life support. Uh, the folks around us knew that we were divorced and the head of the trauma unit came up to us and was talking to us at the end and he got tears in his eyes. He said, you're such an incredible family. <laughs> Wow. And I was so struck by that because and that brings tears to my eyes because it made me realize how important it was mm -hmm. to really treat each other with love. We had created these awesome children. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Anyway, yeah, yeah. that was my big forgive. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. there have been others. I don't know. I have to well, think about that. I feel like... Um, Divorce is a huge one. Yeah. I, you know, um, I haven't been married or divorced, but I've had big breakups. And I know my, my, my parents have gotten divorced. And that's one of the big things that we always yeah. talk about is forgiveness, like forgiving mm -hmm. my parents, forgiving myself. Forgiveness is such a key to self-love and compassion and being mm -hmm. able to move forth. So, yeah, thank you for the share. And the sec third question is, what is the most compassionate act someone has done for you? Oh, wow. What is the most compassionate act someone has done for me? No, it's like my memory isn't great. So I'm <laughs> sure I'm going to come up with something and then later go, oh, there was this better act of compassion, you know. Um, hmm. I think, I'll tell you, one of my good friends, Nikki, became my good friend because both of us had lost children. And she found me on Facebook. She's in England. I'm in the U.S. in California. And she, she knew who I was because she had followed some of my marketing work. And she said, I know you and I are meant to be mates. <laughs> she said this in this great Northern English accent. And Nikki, if you're listening, I love you, dear. And she said, um, 
I want to get on the phone and talk to you. And she had lost a child many years earlier and she was able to really, you know, we did a, we did a Skype call and she and I were really able to talk about what was going on. It was so helpful to me, but then she went one step further and she said, I want to introduce you to my psychic who um, also lost a child. And I just think, you know, I want to treat you to a reading with her because she will tell you what she knows about the passing of your daughter. Well, of course I said yes. And the medium whose name is Joanne Gregory, it, also in the UK, turned out to just be a, an incredible resource. And she also became a friend. And later, uh, two years later, she contacted me and said, I'm being guided to gift you a reading. And this was around the spring of 2014. It was about a year and six, seven or eight months after Teal's death. And I said, okay. And I was very grateful, of course. And that was very kind of her. Another amazingly compassionate thing to do. And she sat down with her cards on Skype and she laid it out. And she said, you have a proper love coming. And she described what has become my marriage to the point where she's, I was, she said, I think it's someone in law or transportation. Interesting. <laughs> and um, she, I said, Oh, law. And I was dating a police officer, like very initially just kind of like feeling out, is this even remotely possible? You know, and like we'd gone out on a couple of dates and, sort of still circling each other with curiosity. That woman has since become a great friend of mine, not a date. And uh, she said, what's her name? And um, I told her and she said, no, no, no. I think it's this other person. And she said her name. Well, okay. I, I took that name with me to the next few events I went to. And sure enough, I met a woman with the same name. And I said to her, oh, gee, tell me all about you. <laughs> and um, I said, what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm a lawyer. Oh, I'm retiring. She said, and remember, Joanne had said law or transportation. So she says, I'm a lawyer and I'm retiring. But really, in my heart, I want to be a conductor on Amtrak. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like are you kidding me? Oh my God. I practically shook her like, you're the one. You know, but I was really trying to be under control here. Yeah. So I was trying to be cool. Right. Well, interesting. Wow. Um, I need to meet your psychic. Everybody <laughs> says that when I tell him this story, Joanne Gregory, you can find her online. Oh my um, God. But it's, uh, it was just extraordinary. And uh, if Nikki hadn't introduced us, I never would have known Joanne. And if Joanne hadn't, shared their reading with me, I may not have woken up enough because I was still grieving when I met my wife. I, you know, it takes years to recover from the loss of a child. And, yeah. and she, she I, I don't know that I would have been so proactive in getting out of my grief to say, okay, I'm ready for this relationship. But in fact, it became a massive catalyst to my healing. Mm -hmm. And she and I have a very happy marriage now. And we're really a great fit, you know. Was she the first woman you had a relationship with? No, um, I had come to San Francisco intentionally to create a, a gay life for myself. And, okay. Um, the prior relationship had been 14 months and not worked out well. Mm -hmm. And that was the relationship I 
had just left a okay, few months before it. Teal died. Nice. Well, that's yeah. an amazing story. I want to look yep. up that psychic. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Pretty awesome. That is, back. is amazing. Yeah. Okay. So what, do, oh wait, so next question is, what do you love most about your life? Oh, well, I think my relationship that I was just talking about. Yeah. It is, um, it's, it's, uh, there, you know, we have health challenges to deal with, but we are such aligned souls that it makes it easy and i am um incredibly grateful for all of the difficulties i've gone through in my life because they've really taught me how to do this right Mm -hmm. you know i'm grateful to my former husband because we learned so much from each other like brother and sister billy you know yeah it's interesting because i always feel that when people go through a lot of emotional pain Mm -hmm. the depth of their emotional pain is also the deep how deep they can love if not more so like for instance I, this is this is a terrible thing to say but my i had a friend that was looking for a man and she was like i'm looking for a widower and i'm like that is a very specific and very weird thing to ask for but <laughs> she was kind of like well i want a man that has suffered through loss or has gone through an emotional depth because that would create he would be a deeper person in that's a way. an interesting idea Right. That's a really interesting idea. I can I can really get that. Yeah. So when she said it and explained it, then I understood it. But at the time I was like, what? But then as I've gotten older and lived, lived my life and now I can understand more what she's meaning. Like when you go through something really intense in your life, your ability to love, your capacity to love is deeper, truer and more authentic because you also understand how precious how precious it is. Yeah, there's no question about that. I. I do feel because of that, I am a better wife and I can show up. I also just want to say I'm so grateful as a lesbian that I can get married and that I live in a time when that's possible. And I didn't come out, even though I really knew in my heart I was gay for decades because it wasn't safe. And I'm a sensitive person and I wasn't going there till it was really okay. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm happy that it is. And it should have always been. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So how do you feel you receive love? Tell me more about your question. Well, um, we all experience love in different ways in terms of giving. It's very, Mm -hmm. you know, we we, we all can say I give love in this way and this way. Mm -hmm. But receiving love tends to be a little bit more challenging for people. Mm. And to understand when love is presented it feels like you have to kind of work on yourself to understand who you are, to even allow love to come in. Wow, that's very, very insightful. I think for me, um, being listened to and being heard and really being understood as, for me, who I am, as opposed to uh, somebody trying to change me or rewrite what I'm doing or edit me, you know, which I got a lot of as a kid. I was really being, you know, shaped by my parents instead of discovered. And that is very true of parenting in the 60s and 70s. You know, that's kind of what went on. We were supposed to follow in the in the footsteps or something like that. And um, I think being listened to is really a way in which I feel loved. And, you know, um, thoughtful gestures always help. 
And <laughs> I, there's a lot of affection in my marriage. There's a lot of give and take. And, and, you know, we tell each other we love each other all the time. And it is such a, a nice thing. It's it simple, but effective. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, where has love created a miracle in your life? I think it's a miracle that I, as I said before, that I get to be a lesbian living in a happy marriage in a beautiful home. Um, it's really funny. Uh, one of the, the big questions for me was how am I going to um, carry on here without this marketing business? when I realized I couldn't do it anymore and I had no idea what the replacement was be, gonna be, but I felt I had to really honor Teal's memory. I was approached by an investor out of the blue. This was a relative who'd known me since I was a baby, but um, really we, we had not been closely in touch and um, they'd heard that Teal had died, called up and said, um, I'd like to have lunch with you. And we had lunch and he said, I'd like you to write novels um, I'd like to invest in your career as a writer and would you be interested in writing novels that I could invest in? And I had written fiction. I'd published fiction with a major publisher earlier in my career and I hadn't written a novel in 15 years, but I love writing fiction. I love reading fiction. I just hadn't allowed myself that particular aspect of my writing. So I dove in. I said, yes, and I'm still doing this today. I'm on the ninth novel. And um, the first eight uh, had a queer theme. Now I'm writing a, a heterosexual novel and I get to write about the things I care about in a context of fiction, which is really about truth and understanding and justice and you know the coming together of lots of people from disparate places and disparate beliefs and different kinds of people. I live in Oakland, California, which is an extremely diverse city. And I live here and I celebrate this because this is who we are in Oakland. And every time we have a big gathering, I'm in a gospel choir, the Oakland Interfaith uh, Community Choir. And whenever we sing, you know, there are thousands of people out there from the city and we all talk about this aspect of life that we're all different, but we're all together. We all believe in this cause called the city of Oakland and the love that is present in the city of Oakland. So I think I'm extremely grateful for that. That's for sure. Yeah, we're neighbors. No way. <laughs> yeah, I live in Point Richmond. Come on! Did you know I lived in Oakland? <laughs> no. All right, we have to go have lunch. I know for sure. We definitely want. God, I was like, when you said that, I was like, we got to meet. Hey, that's where Terrence Kelly lives. That's where Marin Amdo lives. The people who run the uh, OIGC live right, right there in, yeah. in Richmond. That's the coolest. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, cool. We're talking about that. <laughs> nice Corinne. <laughs> well thank you so much for being on the podcast i think what you're doing what you're writing about is so important uh, oh, talking thanks. about grief and just sharing self-care and all the things all the work that you're doing how can people find out who you are your podcast sure that info. well thank you for asking i have a show my name's suzanne falter and i have a show called self-care for extremely busy women and you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, etc. I have a great big group by the same name on Facebook. You pop by, I will get you right in there. And my book is The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. 
if you come by suzannefalter.com, you'll see all my books, my podcast, and everything. Cool. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm sending you so much love. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and tune in on Tuesdays for new episodes. For more information about me, please follow me on Instagram at Corinne J. Camara and my website, CorinneCamara.com. Sending you lots of infinite love.